Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning of this worship service, the the doctrine of justification is called the doctrine by which the church either stands or falls. The doctrine of justification was at the heart of the Reformation, begun by Martin Luther and the other Reformers in the first part of the 16th century, the early 1500s. And it was the reason for the Reformation, the fact that the biblical truth of justification had been uh, clouded and, and in fact, uh, uh, erroneously taught in the Roman Catholic Church. Because justification is a word that we don't frequently use in English apart from biblical and Christian context, it's important for us to remind ourselves from the Bible of what this concept means. This doctrine isn't just intended for sermons or for theological papers and essays. Rather, God intends this doctrine to be used in our lives, to lead us to have confident faith, to to lead us to live lives full of passionate evangelism, sharing the good news of God's love with other people around us, and ultimately, finally, to lead us to eternal life with God in heaven, through faith in Jesus, our Savior. As we see in our reading, the Apostle Paul writes that through Christ, we are justified before God. This means that Jesus has paid the penalty that our sins deserved by his sacrificial death in our place on the cross. In verse 6 of our reading, the Apostle Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly, Do you think of yourself as ungodly? I would say probably not. Uh, Most of us believers in God, believers in Jesus, uh, hope that we are, are godly, right? But that is what God says that was the spiritual condition of each one of us before God brought us to faith in Jesus as our Savior. Because of that sinful nature that we inherited from our parents who inherited it from their parents, all the way back to our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, after they fell into sin, our original spiritual condition from birth was ungodly, totally controlled by the sinful nature, totally opposed to God's will, and unable even to carry out his will. But in verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine that. While we were still sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies of God, God showed this amazing grace and love to people who were totally opposed to him and his will. And still, even for us believers in Jesus, we still have the sinful nature within us, struggling against the new self that believes in God and wants to do his will. I I'm still a sinner, and so are you. In fact, just a little while ago in our worship service, as we do every week in our worship service, we confessed our sins to God and our unworthiness of his grace. And we pleaded for his mercy and his forgiveness, which we so desperately need for our salvation. Now it's perhaps because of the influence of our society or the, just the, the attitude of our sinful nature, which doesn't want to own up to our sins, 
we can fall into becoming a, a little bit casual about the seriousness of sin. And so we need to remember that sin, as God tells us, really is the source of all the troubles in this life, whether directly or indirectly. Heartache and sadness, pain and loss, despair, and and every other negative thing in your life and mine are caused by sin and its effects in this life. And unless we are delivered from sin and its, its penalty and punishment, the worst would yet be still to come. There's death and the torments of hell for all who reject the grace and love of God through Jesus our Savior. Sin is in all of us. Sin is in all people everywhere. And it plagues them in this life. And the devil seeks to keep them trapped in sin and unbelief in order to lead them to be plagued and tormented under God's wrath and punishment for all eternity in hell. While this goes on among people on this earth, God, in his mercy, has reached out in love and sent his own son, Jesus, to be the savior of the whole world. Jesus died for sinners. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, We have now been justified by his blood justified. That is, he has made us just. He has declared us to be just, righteous, holy, and sinless in his sight through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross in our place. Think back to what you know of the Old Testament sacrificial system. God said way back at the beginning to Adam and Eve when he gave them that first command not to eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, When you eat of it, you will surely die. And God says later in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. That is the consequence, the punishment, penalty for sin is death. And so in the Old Testament, God commanded that whenever people sinned, they had to give lifeblood, the the death of a living thing, as payment for their sin. And in, in his mercy, God didn't immediately demand the death of the sinner, but he allowed them to bring an animal sacrifice, the the lifeblood of that animal, as substitute in in payment for their sins. And Israel, as, as we saw in the first reading from the Old Testament, Israel had solemnly promised that they would never break the covenant that God had made with them. But of course, from what we know of the history of Israel in the Old Testament, They did break the covenant that God had made with them, and then they broke it more times than we can possibly count. That covenant that God made with them required that if the covenant was broken through their sin, lifeblood would be required to be shed in punishment. And so Israel and all people were doomed to die. They were helpless to do anything about their sin problem. And so God acted. God rescued his people. God the Father sent his only begotten Son, Jesus, who paid the penalty not only for God's people of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, but for everyone who has sinned against God, for all people throughout the whole world. Jesus made that payment by shedding his own lifeblood on the cross of Calvary. His sacrifice 
was sufficient for all people because Jesus was not only true man, but he is also true God. And so his sacrifice on the cross has infinite value. It counts for you and me and for all people. And so the Apostle Paul writes, we have now been justified by his blood. And he emphasizes now. This is a situation that exists already, right now. It's not something that will happen sometime off in the future. God's requirement in the law that lifeblood be shed when his covenant is broken is now satisfied. That provision of his law has been fulfilled by Jesus. Now the sinner may stand before God, not pleading our own righteousness or our own good works, but pointing to Jesus and his cross as the basis for our claim to a, a place in God's presence because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. God meant for us to use this truth now. He wants us to live our lives right now without fear. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, Complete love drives out fear. God has loved us with a complete love, a perfect love, by giving his Son to suffer and die in our place. Think about how the gospel books in the Bible begin with the announcement of the angels, do not fear, when announcing the the coming birth of the Savior. And then towards the end of the gospel books in the Bible, again, the angels announce to the women who came to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning, do not be afraid. His tomb is empty. He has risen. The payment for sin is complete. What about in your life? How much of life do you live as if God is angry with you because of your sins? Believing that uh, during some challenging time or difficulty, pain or loss or grief or sadness in your life, that God is reaching out to punish you for some sin that you have committed against him? Think about in the world around us today, how much of the fear of, of sickness And the panic at the thought of dying exists because people are afraid of the just God who requires the penalty of death and hell from those who sin against him. Yes, indeed, God does require a penalty. But the good news is that Jesus has paid that penalty in full by shedding his blood on the cross. He's paid it for all people, including for you and for me. And so, since we are justified before God through Jesus, declared righteous and holy in his sight, God wants us to live without fear so that we can give our minds, our hearts, our strength, our time to serve him and to serve other people that he has placed around us in our lives. With our souls at peace and and at rest and our hearts filled with joy and, and thanks, for God's love to us through Jesus, we serve him best when we spread this good news of justification by grace through faith for Jesus' sake. In verse 10 of our reading, the Apostle Paul alludes to another important consideration about justification when he says, it is even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. 
And so not only Jesus' death, but also his life is essential in order for us to be justified before God. Jesus' resurrection, his coming back to life, is our guarantee that God the Father has accepted this sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross in payment for sin. But the importance of of Jesus' life before his death is also sometimes overlooked, even by Christians. The Apostle Paul states very clearly later on in chapter 5 and verse 18, he says, just as one trespass, that is the sin of, of Adam, led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, because Adam and Eve passed on that sinful nature to all their descendants, which produced sin in the lives of all of the descendants of Adam and Eve. And so that sin that we've committed has led to condemnation for all people. So also, one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. And of course, that one righteous verdict is the verdict of God on the work of Jesus. His perfect obedience throughout his whole life. His innocent death on the cross. That righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. Included in God's covenant with his people is not only the provision for punishment when God's will is violated, but also the requirement of obedience and the perfect fulfilling of God's will. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. To be justified before God means that I also stand before him righteous and holy. Even though the penalty for my sins has been paid for by Jesus' death on the cross, yet left to myself, I would still stand guilty before God because I have not perfectly obeyed all of his law. I need to have both my guilt removed, my sins forgiven, and to have perfect righteousness, perfect obedience to God's will. And so Jesus does more for us than just take away the penalty of our sin, but he also provides us with the righteousness that we need to stand before God the Father and to hear him say, not guilty, in fact, perfect, holy, and sinless. And so in the cherished hymn that we're about to sing after this sermon, the words, Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he writes, God made him who did not know sin, that is Jesus, to become sin for us so that we might become righteousness, the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, by his perfect life, has provided you and me with the righteousness that we need to stand before God seeing me point to Jesus and crediting his righteousness to me, God therefore says to me, not guilty, holy, righteous. That may be challenging for us to believe. Our human reason asks, how can God possibly say that I am not guilty when I daily struggle with sin and temptation and daily fall into many kinds of sins, if if not always in my actions, then in my words, or at least in my thoughts, and the desires and attitudes of my heart? 
How can God possibly say holy and righteous? Well, that's the mystery of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. It shows the overwhelming greatness of God's love and grace. I am now justified before God, not guilty in his sight, pure, holy, and sinless. Think about the people that you know in your life, perhaps the the struggles that you yourself may have in your life of, of struggling with carrying a load of guilt. Loaded with guilt, we carry a self-image of being worthless and counting for nothing. Loaded with guilt, we become preoccupied with seeking a way out from that guilt. Sometimes we try to justify ourselves, to rationalize the sinful things that we do, but we know that ultimately that doesn't work. We might try to compare ourselves to others, think that, well, at least I'm not as bad as that terrible sinner over there who has done those terrible things. But that doesn't remove the guilt from our hearts. We might try to compensate for our guilt by some extra effort in trying to do good works in order to make up for the sins that we have committed, but that doesn't work either to remove the sin and the guilt from our hearts. Sometimes we try to ignore or to overpower, overshadow the guilt and, and depression we might feel with drugs or alcohol or entertainment or pleasure or other kinds of distractions, but all of that is of no use in the end. But when we face up to our sins and confess them to God, when we seek God's help as we give ourselves over to him by the power of his Holy Spirit, then we have deliverance. We have peace and strength. This is the only remedy for sin and guilt. And so Jesus invites us in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I will carry both your guilt and you. I will carry you. I will cover your sin-stained garment with the robe of my righteousness. Dear friend, use this robe now. Use Use this robe of Christ's righteousness in this life of of sin and suffering. You are not guilty right now. You are free from the punishment of sin right now. Don't waste your time and your strength in life by dwelling on, on the sins that you've committed in the past because before God, you are just. You are righteous and holy. And now God calls on you to live out the meaning of what he has done for you. Live it out right now in in whatever place, whatever situation God has called you to live in your life. Tell others about your acquittal, about the verdict of righteous and holy that God has declared for you and for all people through Jesus. Show them what it means as your joy and your gratitude show through in your life and everything that you do and say. Being justified before God also means that your relationship with him has changed. Paul writes in verses 10 and 11 of our reading, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, it is even more certain that since we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only is this so, 
but we also go on rejoicing confidently in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received this reconciliation. What does this mean? I think of myself often as a poor, miserable sinner. Indeed, that's what the Bible says that I am, apart from faith in Jesus. But now, through Jesus, my status has been changed. That is the Apostle Paul's message here. We were reconciled. That is, we were restored to a harmonious relationship with God through the forgiveness of our sins. Through Jesus, God has changed the status of our relationship with him from ungodly and unrighteous to saints, holy and righteous in his sight. God has made us his dearly loved children, cherished and treasured members of his own family. God has adopted us in this way as a result of our being justified before him through Jesus' blood. God did not want the crown of his creation, us human beings, to be separated from himself through sin. And so, as verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In his caring love, God delivered us from the road to hell that we were on in our, our sin and our opposition to him and his will, and he restored us again as members of his family. That's what reconciliation means. Think about it just in your everyday life when there is reconciliation, when there's been a, some kind of conflict or strife between two people or two groups of people, usually both sides need to compromise to make some movement to meet in the middle to be reconciled. But notice what Paul says in verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God didn't change. He always loved us. He always hated and deplored sin and responded to sin with his punishment. He is still the same. Sin still incurs his anger and punishment. But that anger and punishment from God towards sin was taken out on Jesus when he took our place on the cross. God still hates sin and desires love, obedience, and righteousness but now he looks at those who believe in Jesus as their Savior as having the love and obedience and righteousness of Jesus. God wants this new status as his children to show forth in our lives. Remembering that we are God's children, we desire to act that way. We want to follow his commands and his will. Remembering how much God loves us we open our hearts to him. We rejoice confidently in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as verse 11 of our reading says. Remembering the price that God's great love cost him, we delight in giving ourselves over to him in service with grateful hearts. We are justified by Jesus' blood. There is no greater truth than that. Live in that joy and peace. Amen.